good day to be indigenous. Get up, stand up. They are going to become more brutal. Because all the hippies were trying to be Indians anyway. They're going to become more repressive because it's a matter of dollars and their illusionary concepts of power. Hey, Victor. We must live in balance with the earth. And also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I am awake. Welcome to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake and I'm your host, Wakanja Hade. Hey, Kadagi, to all my friends and relatives in four directions, you are listening to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake and I'm your host, Robert Pilot. We discuss local and national Native news and events. And as you know, Haley, Native issues are human issues, and human issues are Native issues. You're right, Jaga. This portion of the show is supported by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. They do great work, and uh, and they've been supporting us for over six years, and we really appreciate them and give them a big shout-out to all the great work that they, they do. Hey, today we have Robert Lilligren, CEO of NACD and um, president, and also Kathy Vick, who's uh, going to talk about housing uh, program. She's a housing program manager here on Turtle Island. But we got Robert on here right away, and we have a couple things. Well, we also have the governor of Wisconsin sending us a nice little piece, too, but I wanted to get with Robert. Robert right away and talk about a couple things. First, happy birthday, Robert. And uh, second, happy anniversary to Wendy and I. And third, uh, some sad news. Uh, Reservation Dogs is not going to be on after this third season. Robert. I heard just before we came on the air. So it is sad news, but they're going out on top, right? Which is yep. kind of smart and strategic. And it, it had such a success. It penetrated into the mainstream. It was, uh, was Native people steering our own narrative. And so nothing but congratulations and gratitude to them. Absolutely. Hey, I wanted to have you on, Robert, uh, while we uh, listen to the governor and maybe just comment a little bit on things that are happening in our uh, neighboring state. So without any further ado, why don't we uh, listen to uh, Governor Evers from Wisconsin's report to Native Roots Radio. Hey there, folks. Governor Tony Evers here. The need for affordable housing is one of the issues I hear most about as I travel across our state. It's also an issue that connects the dots between some of the most pressing challenges facing our state today. Simply put, expanding access to safe, stable, and affordable housing is a key part of our work to support kids and families, bolster our state's workforce and economy, and ensure our communities continue to grow and thrive. It's also about connecting the dots. When Wisconsinites have access to affordable housing, we can make sure our kids can focus on their studies and not where they're going to sleep at night. We can make sure we can recruit and retain talented students and workers. We can make sure folks have a safe, reliable place to recover from substance use disorder overcome mental health challenges, and re-enter our communities. That's why I'm proud to sign a package of five bipartisan bills to address some of the many issues that we face when it comes to affordable housing, including supporting the development of more workforce housing and ensuring that the housing we have is safe, sanitary, and well-maintained. I look forward to more bipartisan opportunities to work together to address our state's long-standing housing needs and build the future we want for our kids, our workforce, and our state. Thank you. Wow, thank you so much. Uh, uh, that was Governor Evers giving us his update. And uh, wow, there was a lot there, uh, Robert, uh, in that uh, quick three-minute little uh, piece. That That's pretty amazing stuff. And it also makes me think of how uh, well we're doing here in Minnesota, too. Here, here, and congratulations to you and to your to Native Roots for Radio reason, for having these kinds of pieces you, that we can you can hear do. Robert uh, Haley? I do hear Robert, yes. I hear okay. you both. Okay, and yep. I hear you. Oh, interesting. Okay, cool, I hear but, you. I push, go ahead, I pushed the wrong button, yeah. sorry. Well, I was just saying congratulations to you and to your show, to Native Roots Radio, for getting these pieces from people like Governor Evers, and you know, it just really shows that that you're generating some reach and people people want to put their messages out on the show. And interestingly, I spent a chunk of my afternoon on the issues of affordable housing that the governor was was discussing. And 
And as you know, I'm, I serve in our regional government here. It's called the Metropolitan Council. I'm a representative there, the first Native representative ever in its 50-year history. And housing is a big part of what we do. And we put resources through our um, our organization. And I chair that committee, the Community Development Committee. And right now, because of the trifecta we have at our state legislature with the House, the Senate, and the governor's office all being held by Democrats or DFLers, Democratic Farmer Labor uh, uh, Party members, we did a lot. They did a lot this year in working with advocates in the community, and especially on the area of housing. And we have a lot of incredible new resources coming into the state into our region to support the creation of affordable housing. And, and so it's going to be a different, uh, different day going forward. Yeah, that's uh, exciting. And, uh, you know, we're just blessed here. We really, really are. And uh, I want to remain humble on that, too. But also something that came up today, too, uh, Robert, is uh, the uh, Supreme Court's ruling on affirmative action. What the heck is going on here? Man. Yeah, yeah. So the Supreme Court put the stake in the heart of uh, of affirmative action in college admissions and that uh, condemned sort of race-based criteria or evaluation of, of applicants. And, and it's very frustrating, right? I mean, you have a status quo that controls the access controls the criteria and and to think that those aren't race based you know the status quo criteria and methods are based on on supporting the people who are establishing those roles right and so so many people feel that this will have a negative and i feel the same that it'll have a a negative impact on the progress of bipoc people for a long time Oh yeah, and uh, you know, people have said uh, uh, affirmative action ruling is going to affect businesses and colleges that really can't afford to discriminate. So uh, it's it's baffling, and but yet you know, too. I think we we talked a little bit about this too. Is that the, how pleasant of a surprise it was that ICWA passed? But then again. Supreme Court's dealing with sovereign nation as opposed to uh, a race. And I think that might have played some kind of uh, act with this last uh, vote. Yeah, you're, you're, you're muted again, Robert. <laughs> oh, how did that happen? Uh, yeah, no, I agree with you. And I, uh, I think it's short. It's it's in a, unusual things that are coming out of the the Supreme Court, it's been around race and around native sovereignty as well. And uh, with the ICWA uphold, you know that was a a huge win, right, for native native people. And then of course there's the Navajo Water decision, which is in a blow. So it's 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 kind of it reminds me sometimes of those old movies or cartoons where you have the fire firefighters carrying the net waiting for someone to jump into it they're running back yeah. and forth trying to figure out where the person's going to land that's yeah. kind of how it feels right now during this this supreme court session well you know with all the kind of the scandals that are coming out too with all the money going to a couple of the supreme courts for big vacations and colleges for nephews uh we really have to really overwhelmingly re get democrats in there and make sure that they're promising to enlarge that court. This is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And as these ethics issues get investigated and made public, one thing I wonder is how much of this has always gone on because there's such a thick veil that around the Supreme Court, it's hard to pierce that, right? And so, yeah. so now the veils are getting lifted a bit and, and we're starting to see some of this, you know, really unethical, maybe illegal behavior and, and I think it's incumbent on the poor court to regulate itself, but also if the, if we need our Congress to to put rules in place, then it and it should. And and I like the idea of a rising court. It's grown and shrunk throughout the country's history, so I would support that. Absolutely great. Hey, hey, we're here with Robert Lilligren, and we are going to take a quick break, and we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on with the DOJ there in Minneapolis and, uh, and get his uh, spin on it. You're listening to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake, and we'll be right back. 
Stay with us. Hey, Olgama, I've been hearing a lot about this term, climate justice. What is that? Climate justice is recognizing that the negative impacts of climate change don't affect all people equally. It also means transitioning from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable future. MN350 is one of the groups that's pushing for this transition to protect our futures. You can even get involved, too. That's great, especially since I'm concerned about pipeline projects like Line 3. How can I help MN350? Just find them on Facebook or visit mn350.org. We are your relatives. We are your relations. Brothers. Sisters. Sons. Daughters. And and some some of us are your grandchildren. We are your community. Historically, we held places of honor and respect. Because of the impact of colonization, some of us are rejected, thrown out from family, friends, and community, set up as targets for sexual violence, sex trafficked, humiliated, tortured, and murdered. Everybody has the right to be safe. We are your relatives. Remember, homophobia is not traditional. Sponsored by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. When it comes to mental health, making connections with others can be a way forward. How do you reach out when you need someone? What do you do to support those who struggle? Connections can bring comfort, hope, and joy. Find ways that work for yourself and others like sending a text, sharing a moment, offering a hug, seeing an old friend, creating space to listen. Visit cmentalhealth.org. That's cmentalhealth.org. cmentalhealth.org. You hear a lot about Rudy Luther Toyota's hybrid cars, but maybe you're asking yourself, are they worth it? Let me say from experience, absolutely. I have a Toyota Sienna hybrid, and the proof is in the gas tank. Before my hybrid, I was filling up my tank once a week. Now it's consistently every two weeks. I did the math, and my hybrid is saving me over $1,000 every year. And the Toyota hybrids are some of the most stylish and comfortable vehicles you'll ever drive. Now's the time to get a Toyota hybrid. Set up a time to test drive one today at Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. This is uh, Leonard Peltier. I am in uh, Coleman, one U.S. Penitentiary, and I'm listening to Native Roots Radio. And we're back to Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awaken. This is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by the Native American Community Development Institute in Minneapolis. Yes, it is, and uh, we really appreciate the work that they do and the support they give everybody around uh, and on Turtle Island here, and it's really exciting. I, I just want to uh, touch one real quick thing here. One of our li- one of our uh, listeners says, "Does the Supreme Court really represent America?" And that's a really good question, right, Robert? I think that is exactly the question. And when the Dobbs decision came out. Uh, that struck down Roe versus Wade. Uh, and so you saw that Supreme Court decision. You saw where the support with the American people were for reproductive rights and access to abortion. And I remember saying and posting on social media at the time that this, this Supreme Court no longer dispenses justice for the Amer- majority of Americans. And my recommendation was two of them should resign so that this important third branch, co-equal branch of our government, can reset itself so it's actually representing the American people. So I agree with that listener. Or I guess I would say the answer to the listener's question is no, they do not represent. Right. Exactly. So something interesting happened today over in Minneapolis. Uh, uh, and then this report that just came out that I think a lot of us were not surprised on the report, but also we were surprised that it was a good report, I guess. Do you want to talk yeah, about good, that a little, Robert? Yeah, good is kind of relevant. I mean, it's, it's hard to describe that report as good, but it can hopefully spark some positive change, right? And uh, after George Floyd was murdered here, there was some deep investigations at all levels. The state uh, did an investigation that found similar findings, but the federal Department of Justice did an investigation into Minneapolis policing and policing practices and not surprising to anyone, or at least anyone from a BIPOC community, came up with some pretty damning and horrifying findings about the race-based inequities, the race-based policing, the racist policing practices that go on here. Yeah, and it's amazing, too. I guess what I was trying to say is that we weren't surprised that right. this came out, but we were surprised that it did come out. <laughs> Right, right. And, you know, it's so funny. People in BIPOC communities are kind of like shrugging their shoulders and like, yeah, what? 
This isn't news to, to any of us. And even for me, back when I served on the Minneapolis City Council, we had a 2003 DOJ investigation after a particularly egregious act of misconduct and racist, race-based conduct from the Minneapolis. So it's the exact same thing, the exact same findings, you know, and, and now the next thing will be, will be under decree, you know, there'll be a judicially enforced decree that Minneapolis has to um, uh, govern under until, until that decree is satisfied. And that was the same thing that happened back 20 years ago. You know? So, so here we are. So hopefully we've learned things since that time and we can put solutions in place that can actually improve the quality of policing here. How does that happen, Robert? So is, do we, do we show up to these meetings and, and voice our opinion? How do we keep this ball rolling as opposed to just having it as a report and going, Oh, everyone's shaking their head. And then we go on and, and, uh, as, you know, and nothing changes. Right. So there'll be some formal pieces around this. There'll be some mechanism of community engagement, some kind of community uh, advisory body, uh, just like there was 20 years ago. I think this time again, we're, we're, we're smarter about this. We're more experienced. We can and more sophisticated about how we put those things in place. And it, it's essentially an agreement that's negotiated between Minneapolis government and the Department of Justice. Then it's um, sort of transferred to the courts to monitor it, to regulate it, to enforce it. But we can stay engaged in a number of ways. Today was a great example. The DOJ came out into the Native community at Dakota Institute at the American Indian OIC and held a community listening session. And uh, and I it just ended at 3.30, and I haven't had time to talk to anyone that was there. But I'm really interested in hearing at NACD, Native American Community Development Institute, where I work, we use some of our organizing uh, reach to get, get to get people there. But it, the invite to it was really pinging around the community. So I'm hoping it was a, a good showing and that people spoke their piece. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I want to uh, switch gears a little bit and kind of reintroduce you, Robert, because, you know, we have new listeners all the time. We're on a new time right now. And uh, your background is the first what put it out there sure. the the right yeah, way so i served on the minneapolis city council from 2001 to 2014 uh, i was the first tribal citizen ever to serve on that body in its 150 year history and and i served as vice president of that body for 12 years and at the time and our government's kind of reforming right now we had a strong council system a lot of a lot of authority and and I was able to create a lot of access for Native people who really mm-hmm. hadn't had access into government before. And we did some pretty cool things uh, yeah. with working together with the community. And so I left the Minneapolis City Council in 2014. And now for the last maybe four years, I have been serving a little over four years on our regional government, the Metropolitan Council. Again, the first tribal citizen ever to serve on that body in its 50-year yeah. history. And so that's that's issues of environment, parks, housing, transit, uh, uh, wastewater management, and, uh, and that's an appointment from our state's governor, Governor Waltz and Lieutenant Governor Flanagan. That, that's awesome. And again, those are two things out of the many things that you've done and are doing right now. I think uh, we talked a little bit a, a while back about I think you're on like seven boards and uh, seven or eight <laughs> right. boards, and, you know. But uh, you know, there's things that uh, that are really important to hear and everyone to hear that it's a good thing that we have our first, but it's also hopefully not our last. And and you're breaking, I guess, glass ceilings, right? You know, that's a grand way of looking at it. But I think with all the native elected officials I know, or former elected officials, and with me, the huge. Uh, priority is making sure that we're bringing other people along, right? And that we're not we're not just serving ourselves or you know elbowing our own way at the table. But then there's always people that we're bringing along with us and that are coming up behind us. And you know, one of my uh, favorite sayings when I uh, talk about access in government, I, I say, "Access is the currency of government." And so access is the currency of government. So the people that have that access find their needs met by their government. And 
and the reverse is true. If you don't have that access, your needs aren't going to be met. And so, so it's always trying to figure out how do we get more native voices in the policy arena, either in elected office or even just contributing to the decisions that policymakers are making. Well, and I know you and I have talked about this, uh, uh, we are at that age now, and I hate to say that, but you know, you have a birthday and I'm right behind you, um, that we are looking to forge and help the future because we know we're not going to be doing this and we're not going to be here forever. And so that's a, a tricky, tricky thing too, because, you know, you look around and you try to, to be a good mentor and, and that's part of your gig over there too, is mentoring politicians and so it's it's a thing that we are always keeping our eye on the prize when it comes to um, the next generation. Right, right. And how, how to do that. It's mentoring. And, and I think one of the important things is, and I think maybe this gets a little, maybe not neglected, but it's maybe not people's first priority, but it's making space, right? Yeah. Making space for these younger emerging leaders. And maybe that means stepping aside. Maybe that means, you know, encouraging and creating opportunities for other people to speak, other people to be in front of the room, other people to be visible and have uh, and increase their profile and their reach. And so sometimes that means you, know, you got to step aside. And yeah. that's at this age, you know, it's something I kind of enjoy doing because like, oh, I need to rest. <laughs> one thing. But also it's I need to, you know, I can use the access or the reach or the profile I have to create opportunities. And that's so, so important and, and not only what you do, but just to where we as Native people come from because we always talk about the next seven generations and mm-hmm. and things have changed and we always used to joke about this uh, since we were in high school, uh, oh, yeah. you know, which is not that long ago for me, but it may be a long way <laughs> for Kelly. Uh, we're both the same age, Robert. Well, in my mind. I meant in my mind, it was a long time ago, but, uh, but it doesn't seem that long to me, but it is a long time ago. But also, uh, you know, the people that really knocked down some doors for us, too, and we're thinking about the next seven generations, too, and that's where we've learned it. I agree. And how do we hand this off then to the next generations with them being as strong and solid as I know they can be? They're way stronger and smarter more aware of their native identities than we ever were at their age. So, so I think that's a, that's just a huge, huge opportunity. This whole generational shift that's going on with the native communities. I just, I think it's, it's all very exciting. And and one of the things I've noticed now, you know, I've been working in the government realm, the policy realm for what, 25 years or something uh, close to it. Now I'm not the only one that has brings up native issues or native, perspective but many of my non-native colleagues will will be the first ones in lifting up you know the impacts on native communities or the importance of a native perspective here and to me that just makes my heart sing yeah that's a really good point and uh we should talk about that next time but uh, thank you so much for stopping in and thanks for uh, helping me critique uh Governor Evers and and talk in a good way. We really appreciate you and and what you do for the community. And we'll see you next week. See you next week. Happy anniversary. Hey, thank you so much. We'll be right back after this short message. Stay with us. Life is a journey, and the Doherty Family College at the University of St. Thomas will help you get where you want to go. Located in downtown Minneapolis, this affordable two-year college provides free textbooks, a laptop, meals, career coaches, and a metro transit pass, making DFC the perfect pathway to a bachelor's degree. Turn your dreams into reality at Doherty Family College at the University of St. Thomas. Apply today at DFC. Dot st thomas dot edu. Minnesotans age 65 plus might qualify for Health Partners Minnesota Senior Health Options. The plan includes personal support, coverage for medical prescription drugs and dental, plus over 30 extra benefits. Eligibility information is available at healthpartners.com slash one plan. Health Partners is a health plan that contracts with both Medicare and the Minnesota Medical Assistance Medicaid program to provide benefits of both programs to enrollees. Enrollment in Health Partners depends on contract renewal. 
JNS Bean Factory is a native-owned, community-supported, cozy, artsy coffee shop which offers roasted on-site beans, live music, and baked goods. Relax in the beautiful outside patio. City Pages writes, voted top 10 coffee shops. Tucked into a quiet corner of St. Paul's Highland Park neighborhood, this coffee shop roasts beans on-site from the best coffee-growing countries in the world. Located at 1518 Randolph Avenue, St. Paul. The good stuff. Minnesota has the only original wolf population in the continental United States. And 80% of Minnesotans believe the wolf should be protected. Howling for Wolves is asking Minnesotans to respect our true wildlife manager, the wolf. Their survival is critical to our ecosystems, our communities, and even our economy. As highly intelligent animals with strong social bonds, Minnesota wolves deserve to be protected and admired. Learn more at howlingforwolves.org. Let's Let's live live and and let howl. When it comes to mental health, connections with others can be a way forward. How do you reach out when you need someone? What do you do to support those who struggle? Whether you're struggling or know someone who struggles, see connections as comfort, hope, and joy. Like sending a text, sharing a moment, offering a hug, seeing an old friend, seeing your grandma. Together we can find ways to create a path forward. Visit cmentalhealth.org. Visit cmentalhealth.org. Seward Co-op is now offering convenient, self-serve, and prepackaged hot options and salad bars at both the Franklin and Friendship stores. Breakfast items available daily until 11 a.m. and brunch served all day every Sunday. Their weekly lunch and dinner menus highlight cuisines from around the world. They offer vegan, vegetarian, and gluten-free options daily. 95% of the ingredients used are organic from small-scale, local community food producers whenever possible. More at Seward.coop. Ghost Boxers, you asked for it and you got it. Ghost Box Radio with Greg Bakken moves to five nights a week starting July 10th at 10 p.m. Five nights of talking about ghosts, ufology, Bigfoot, and so much more. We're talking about the paranormal every Monday through Friday. Join us and step into the unknown with Ghost Box Radio with Greg Bakken starting Monday night, July 10th at 10 p.m. If you dare. With a look at your AM 950 weather, I'm Patrick Lilia. Clear tonight with a low of 64, sunshine Friday with a high of 86, then partly cloudy Friday night with a low of 66. Celebrate the arrival of summer with a great meal at an Eat Local Minnesota restaurant, perfect for any occasion. Check out the list of Eat Local Minnesota restaurants at eatlocalminnesota.com. Welcome back to Native Ritz Radio Presents. I'm awake and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by Minnesota 350, a grassroots organization fighting for climate justice. Yes, they do. Hey, we are really happy to have uh, Kathy uh, Vick on and uh, welcome to Native Ritz Radio. And I'm really excited to hear what you do and what your inf- your, the information that you're going to bring us. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself in a good way? Ho! Who is you? Kathy Vick, Indigenicos. I am the uh, housing advocacy manager at Little Earth Residents Association and so honored to be here to share the good work that we're doing. Uh, my latest tagline is we're buying our land back one house at a time. Right two on. down and two billion to go. Right on. Good words. Hey, let our people know, because we're all over the country here and we're uh, on civic media, which is all over Wisconsin and we're in Illinois. Let people know uh, basically where Little Earth is and talk about the community a little bit and we'll get into what you're doing. Great. Um, Well, you know, I started here a little over a year ago, but we kicked off our program in late December, and it was really to assist in preventing homelessness and how could we affect our community and and keep people housed. So I pitched a uh, simple plan 
to Joe Bolio, the executive director here. And basically what it was is to allow me to do the new resident home orientation and um, so that I could help teach the link between successful renter, being a successful renter and what that correlates to or linked to good credit um, and building credit. And HUD put out an announcement last fall that said they were going to start using two years of successful renting, meaning paying your rent on time, that they would use that when they were qualifying people for first-time home buying programs in their approval process. So that's really what um, we've been working on. The second part of it, to prevent the homelessness, so I do the new resident orientations and do a real detailed um, first meeting with them and really go through the pitfalls that can happen in, in being a renter. Um, but how do we become a successful renter and how that impacts our future? So the second part was I am a uh, certified home buying education training and technical assistance provider and HUD approved and wow. have been doing this for over 13 years. Wow. Wow. And so that I got through uh, the National Indian Housing Council, which I am still contracted through um, to do home buying education training nationally, training trainers and also participants within Native communi communities all over the country and have, have had that honor. That's amazing. Um, so what trends have you seen change in the last 13 years? Because uh, years ago in a different life, uh, prior to the 2008 uh, collapse, I was a home appraiser too, a part-time home appraiser. And I know it was like the wild, wild west then because of, you'd cut your grass and your house would go up uh, $10,000. Yes. It was insane. Yeah. And that's what we've been seeing um, for prior to... Well, I think it was about a year and a half ago. Well, even a year ago, interest rates were real low still. Mm -hmm. um, and so after that housing crash in 2008 and 2009, that big impact, of course, the housing market was skyrocketing. And so then the Fed said, well, let's lower interest rates so then mm -hmm. more people can afford to buy homes. Um, well, with the low interest rates and then the short of, of affordable housing, housing prices start going up. And so the trends we were seeing, which were it was similar to what was happening in 2007, 2006, 2000, you know, being at home appraiser, it was just you sneeze and your house was going up, up, up. Mm -hmm. So, of course, the Fed started raising the interest rates so that people would have to lower the home price in order to sell their home. So I'm see, seeing that level out a little bit. Yeah. Do you still see uh, a lot of uh, people buying uh, what used to be known as starter homes, uh, big companies where uh, then they turn them into rentals and, and then the price is going up because there's hardly any starter homes. Uh, that was a big thing. I know a year ago, where, where are we at with that? We are still in that. Um, when you're talking a single family home or even, you know, multi-units, um, we are in that market where it is investors. And so what happens is if you can find an affordable home, investors have more money to um, outbid you. So they'll yeah. pay more than what the house is worth. And so it's really hard on our first time home buyers. And, and so... I am seeing that. Um, so I have lots of prayers out for our community because I do believe in the creator knowing and having control of all. And so I do have prayer in this um, mm -hmm. and hope for that. But I did see something that Canada, I believe, put in a policy that you could not buy a single family home if you were an investor. Mm -hmm. You had to allow, if you were not going to reside in that property, yeah. so that it would allow for their citizens to be able to buy homes. Um, and I think that is something that we need to look into here because it is really difficult. Now, I have had about 
eight people that have successfully applied for home loans, okay, mm-hmm. since February. And two of them are now home buyers. They bought a home and and got an offer accepted and they're closing in July. So we broke the ice. Yes, yes. And I'm just so grateful. I have one other actively looking. She's, you know, looking for that right house. And so we have the intention in the prayers out there uh, that she's going to find it. But it is a challenging market. Mm-hmm. And just recognizing that just don't give up. Just keep yeah. looking. It's ebbs, ebbs and flows. You know, I remember not that long ago, too, in my neighborhood here, we were getting McMansions. We get a nice, decent-sized house, uh, 200, 250 at the time, 1,000, where it would be a starter. And next thing you know, it's an $800,000 house because somebody tore down a starter house and put a McMansion here. And and I see probably because the interest rate and the amount of what houses are worth now, we don't see that as much, but that was crazy. And also, government did jump in. And put a a kibosh to how big the houses could be here, at least in St. Paul. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's an interesting thing because when I bought my first home, um, it was in 2000, um, probably 2001 and Mm -hmm. it was 105,000. Now we had challenged credit. So I have, you know, lived experience um, with, fixing credit. My husband had more challenging credit than I did. So I knew I needed to, I took it down. I'm a big picture person. So I knew I had to be at my job for two years. I knew I needed to make enough money to qualify for this home. Um, So I did all the necessary things, fixed my credit with the help of a lender. Um, Today's market is so different in the sense that with home buying education, and there's all kinds of programs that you can go take a course whether it's home stretch or there's lots of good information out there. Um, how our program difference differs is I'll go through the entire process with you. So I'll mm-hmm. do a credit evaluation to the, let's see what's on there. How do it, it, many of the people that I've worked with, they're already there. They're ready and they're qualified. I really felt like at little earth, we just needed to shake the tree, so to speak. There were yeah. people that are qualified to buy homes. Now it's just finding that affordable home. So that right. is the biggest challenge. Well, I know, too, if you can pay rent and have a steady job, you should be able to buy one of the most, the biggest equity I have in, in my lifetime is our house. And it then is. that's that's generational wealth. That's all these things that... You know, with your help, we can get our, our people and uh, educated in, in that. Absolutely. I started with one little house and uh, for 105000 Now, that was in 2001. We had that big market thing going on. So I yeah. doubled my money in five years. We sold it for two ten. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we also bought in that market, too. So we bought the high end, we sold at the high end, but we've also now been able through that first purchase, we own a little church in Wisconsin. We bought just a little teeny church for uh, like a snowmobile cabin kind of thing. Then my husband bought a little shop, but it really started with that first home. And we only have one mortgage left, and that's on the present home, the second home that we own. But we own the church free and clear now. And so that is generational wealth. Yes. And we did start at the same interest rates that are today. Yeah. You know, when we bought our first house, it was six, seven percent. So it's not unheard of. And it's really just looking at it in a different way and helping and guiding people to that dream and one person at a time. And that's what we're doing. And we're really, really gaining success. That's awesome. And I think uh, education is right. I mean, I remember, I'm old enough to remember when the interest rate was 20%. And, yes. uh, you know, and I remember too when anything below 10% was a deal. Um, so people have been a little spoiled with this <laughs> 3% interest, which is really free money if you, if you look at it compared to any other, uh, uh upswing or downswing of the economy. Uh, 
It's amazing, but you know, when you're uh, educating people uh, on on that, that's that's powerful. Yeah, and the election year's coming up. Maybe they're going to do something for us there. Maybe the the president will lower some interest rates. You yeah, know, with buds. that, you know, in 2024. So it's really looking at that big picture, and and it may take two years. It may take three years. But being there for the long haul, and that's what I've been doing with the folks here. I'm committed. My mother uh, is the Betty White of Indian home buying. Uh, She lives on White Earth, and she is amazing and and made some historical firsts in our country. Her name is Donna Fairbanks. Let's talk a little bit about her. Why don't we come back after this short break and... uh We'll, uh, we'll talk a little more. You're listening to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake, and we're with uh, Kathy Vick, who's the manager of the housing at Little Earth here in Minneapolis. We'll be right back after this short break. Stay with us. Hey, Olgama, I've been hearing a lot about this term, climate justice. What is that? Climate justice is recognizing that the negative impacts of climate change don't affect all people equally. It also means transitioning from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable future. MN350 is one of the groups that's pushing for this transition to protect our futures. You can even get involved, too. That's great, especially since I'm concerned about pipeline projects like Line 3. How can I help MN350? Just find them on Facebook or visit mn350.org. JNS Bean Factory is a native-owned, community-supported, cozy, artsy coffee shop which offers roasted on-site beans, live music, and baked goods. Relax in the beautiful outside patio. City Pages writes, voted top 10 coffee shops. Tucked into a quiet corner of St. Paul's Highland Park neighborhood, this coffee shop roasts beans on-site from the best coffee-growing countries in the world. Located at 1518 Randolph Avenue, St. Paul. The good stuff. Hey, this is Robert Pilot. I taught in St. Paul Public Schools for over 25 years, and I want you to join the team and make a difference in our children's future. Right now, St. Paul Public Schools is offering hiring and retention bonuses up to $10,000 for a variety of teaching and classroom support positions for the next school year. Grow in a supportive and fulfilling public school setting. Limited bonuses are available, so don't delay. Apply at spps.org slash careers. Your Blue Line Extension Project wants to hear from you. We are working on extending the Blue Line light rail into North Minneapolis, Robbinsdale, Crystal, and Brooklyn Park, and connecting it to our growing transit system. Tell us about your neighborhood, your business, your family, and what you need from your Blue Line. Learn more and share more of your story at yourblueline.org. That's yourblueline.org. Hi, this is Representative Sharice Davids from Kansas. I'm Ho-Chunk, and you're listening to Native Roots Radio. And we're back to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake, and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by Howling for Wolves, protecting wolves for future generations. Howl! <laughs> <laughs> I okay. love that one. That one, that always cracks me up. And also uh, Dallas Goldtooth uh, is a bumper here. Always cracks me up. I don't know. I've heard it over a thousand times. It still cracks me up. I always have to make sure my mic's off because you're going to hear me laughing. (laughs) Right on. (laughs) Exactly. Hey, we're here with Kathy Vick and we're talking about housing and what's happening in Little Earth and how uh, we still can be in the game of... uh, housing here as native people and uh talking to kathy and uh experts like her uh to really weave your way through this really convoluted uh way of getting a house and a mortgage and uh, a loan and all those things but uh, kathy i appreciate you being on and kind of talking us through this and uh it's really interesting because there's an old saying that they're not making more land out there, so that uh, it's a good investment too for for anybody. And it sounds like uh, you and your husband have uh, invested, and and it's a good way to uh, show other people how to do that. It sure is. Um, as I mentioned before, I'm. I'm this is something that I never dreamed that I would get to do. 
Um, and I got my real estate license in 2010. And my mother, Donna Fairbanks, uh, worked for the state of Minnesota as the first Indian housing coordinator and worked for MHFA. And um, she came up and she designed and developed the first Indian housing education home buying program in the country, in the nation's history. So she had a lot of firsts. um, But in 2010, she invited me to come to be certified as a Pathways Home Buyer Education Trainer, Pathways Home through the National Indian Housing Council. And uh, I found my heart when I... I went through that to become a trainer and train the trainer. So I kind of just turned it into, instead of being a realtor, I went into the training aspect like my mother. Mm -hmm. And um, not trying to fill her footsteps because she had over 40 years since 76 working in Indian housing. And she's, you know, in her 80s now. And, uh, but her heart was always in it, and I can see why. It's such a personal, wonderful thing to own mm-hmm. your own home. Absolutely. Uh, before we let you go, is there anything like uh, what you'd like to say, or is there any websites uh, people can come to and or reach out to you and your group? Uh, l- let our people know that are listening. Yes. The, the great news is anyone who contacts me. Any person who contacts me, of course, I specialize in Indian housing. So, um, but you contact me, I, whether you're in the community or whether you're in Little Earth, we offer our services to everyone. Mm -hmm. And so I am happy to work with anyone and they just contact Little Earth Housing Residents Association and ask for Kathy and, uh, or contact me, Kathy Vick, or kathy.vic at learth.org. Our mission doesn't just stand for just our residents. We want to help the Native community in a whole. And so I'm just honored to be here, and thank you for letting me share. Right on. And we're we're happy, too, uh, to have you on. And it was great meeting you uh, at one of the parades. I can't remember which one. It was uh, the Indian Indian Day Parade. Yes, yes, the, for Indian Month, absolutely. Well, Kathy, let's uh, have you on again. And uh, really, this was some super information uh, that everyone out there should listen to. Um, they're not making more land, and it's it's there's a, if there's a will, there's a way, and there's people out there to help help you, and especially our Native people with Kathy Vick, uh, Little Earth, uh, you know, housing and program uh, to help you. So. It's exciting, and thank you so much for coming on tonight. Jimmy Gwitch. Wow, right on. Wow, that's awesome, uh, Haley. It, it's it's a thing that – it's a real thing, and I'm glad that uh, we were able to talk a little bit about that because uh, people should be looking into buying houses. And I know yeah. it's confusing as heck, and if you don't have a good realtor or don't have a good banker – uh, and you're not asking for help, it's it's a hard road to, to tow. Yeah, I think, well, I'm Gen Z, so I have never owned my own house. But growing up, um, you know, I, I always knew that it was a bit easier uh, back in the day to get your first house and be a first-time home buyer. Um, but, yeah, for... As long as I can remember, that hasn't been an easy option. I think looking forward to, you know, now being in my 20s, it is hard and it's it's scary. And um, yeah, there's not really a lot out there. And with the market the way it is right now, it makes it really tough. Yeah, and I think I think you hit it on the the head on the no or the nail on the head <laughs> because uh, I was going to say the head on the nose, but that's a different show. Uh, that these prices and is the market going up? Is it going down? You know, are these house? Are you going to be uh, you know house poor because you get qualify for a certain amount, but yet you know. You qualify for it, but you might not be able to eat because you can't afford any food because you're paying for your house payment. Yeah. So those, all those things that need to be 
really uh, taken in account for. And it's just been crazy because of uh, the these people buying mid-range houses and ri- raising the market uh, up unbelievable. Uh, it, it's it's the, the government, mm-hmm. you know, I like to keep the government out of my business, but there's <laughs> something there that they should be helping with because that's ridiculous. We have foreign companies buying up uh, starter homes and renting them out and making them unaffordable because of supply and demand. Right. And I wonder what that's, uh, what that's going to do to like the vacation rental homes business, yeah. like Airbnb and, and Verbo and that's going to change things for them. Yeah. So something has to change, especially, uh, you know, I don't think Gen Z's are, and I might be wrong, uh, not into buying homes and having uh, full-time jobs. I just think it's unreachable right yeah. now for uh, most Gen Z's. And uh, yep. yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say it's not a want thing for us. It's it is un- it seems unattainable at this moment in time. So yeah, that's so. crazy. But it's well, great that we have resources like Kathy and people out there who are helping uh first time home buyers. It's really important. Right. And I and I in that that's a really good point and I could feel her excitement too because uh you feel good when you help people and this is something that people really need help with and uh it's 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 a thing. It really is a thing, you know. Yeah. Cuz we never... want we want people in houses, you know. Uh, we want them in a safe environment. Everything starts at home. Um just for everything. Um well, and that's a good point, and we're wrapping up the show here right now, but I just want to say to that point, uh, renters do not take care uh, uh, as well sometimes of their ho- as somebody else's house as they would their own, and so there's also that too, because you don't want a whole bunch of renters where the landlords are in another country or another state not taking care of their property and not overseeing their property, so... There's a lot to talk about when it comes to housing, and we need housing for our Native people. We need housing for everyone, and affordable housing is the key. Hey, I want to thank Robert Lilligren. I want to thank Governor Evers for dropping us that that segment. And, um, wow, if you're listening to the show, you are part of the resistance from Chief Plenty Coops, the ground on which we stand on is sacred ground. It is the blood of our ancestors. We need to resist, divest, join a group, run for office, and vote. We're still here. We are the seventh generation. Free Leonard Peltier. Now. now.